Remember, remember the 5th of November. Well, they're going to remember it in Virginia. Maybe even Kentucky. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York, on WLPP, in Grand Rapids, on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire, on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle, on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com with, yes, special Election Day coverage. I should say post-Election Day coverage. Following on the heels of the 2018 Blue Tsunami election, it was another very big Election Day. Once again, four Democrats on Tuesday. Tuesday, November 5th, which, yes, I suspect they will remember for quite some time in Virginia and maybe even in Kentucky, not to mention a number of other states around the country. We'll get to some of those key results in a bit, and we will be joined by the now freshly minted three-term delegate from Virginia's House of Delegates, Mark Levine, to explain the sea change election that occurred in the Commonwealth on Tuesday night and the huge impact that is uh, it's ex- that is expected with it uh, with the Democrats' takeover on Tuesday of majorities in the House of Delegates and the Senate in Virginia, along with a Democratic governor at the same time for the first time in nearly 25 years. That is a blue wave. Big news. Big news in Virginia. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hello. But first, if the elections on November 5th, 2019, are being seen as a bellwether predictor for maybe similarly good news for Democrats and their odds for the critical presidential election on November 3rd, 2020, so too should the problems that voters encountered around the country with voting systems, including brand new ones, used for the very first time in some uh, in some cases on Tuesday, including in some very critical swing states that Democrats need to win back next year 
if they have a hope of winning back the White House. We covered a number of problems that voters were having around the country on Tuesday. And as I predicted, many more have now come to light since then. Also, uh, some election fraud, not voter fraud, but election fraud, according to law enforcement officials in the key swing state of Ohio where two people have now been charged, and you will be shocked to learn they are both Republicans. Oh, Ohio. Authorities are investigating whether the Marion County Republican Party broke the law with campaign handouts designed to look like sample ballots. The campaign materials look just like sample ballots that a voter could get from the County Board of Elections, but it had boxes highlighted where the Republican candidates were. Ohio law bans political parties or candidates from handing out sample ballots and sample ballots are also supposed to be printed on colored paper to distinguish them from real ones. But the one in question here is on white paper, just like a real ballot. And at the bottom, it says paid by the Marion County Republican Party. So far, it is unclear how many party officials or volunteers might be under investigation. But on Tuesday, Two people were charged with distributing sample ballots. Republican candidate for Marion City Auditor Robert Landon and Marion County Republican Party official John Matthews have both been charged with distributing the phony sample ballots. A party official or candidate handing out a sample ballot could face up to six months in jail and a $1,000 fine if convicted. But of course... It is Ohio, home to dirty election tricks and stolen elections, where once again it was election fraud by insiders who tried to game an election as opposed to voter fraud, which is the only thing that Republicans pretend to care about when it comes to the security of elections, but only because they think uh, they can institute photo ID restrictions to help keep segments of the Democratic-leaning electorate from being able to vote at all. Sadly, once again on Tuesday, many who did try and vote did have problems doing so, thanks to our woeful and getting worse, in many ways, in many places, electronic voting and registration systems. We reported, as I said, on a bunch of problems with voting systems in several counties in Indiana on our previous broadcast, including problems... Uh, reported on 30% of the touchscreen systems in use across St. Joseph County on Tuesday. Well, here's some, uh, here's some more on Indiana voting failures that same day. A vote-switching problem that frustrated greater Lafayette voters in the uh, November 2018 elections and wound up as part of a federal lawsuit filed last month caused problems yet again during Tuesday's Municipal Election Day, according to the Lafayette Journal and Courier in Indiana. Tippecanoe County Clerk Julie Rausch was traveling uh, to the West Lafayette Fire Station Number 3 shortly after lunch to check on the calibration of several machines after receiving calls from a voter who said the machine kept marking an X for someone else when he touched the screen for the candidate that he wanted. Meanwhile, another voter, Robert Kurtz, in West Lafayette, took a video of the faulty vote recording on the touchscreen at a vote center at uh, the Federated Church. The video captured his attempt to vote for three or four candidates. And each time, uh, he says, when I touched a square next to a candidate's name, the machine selected the square for the candidate above it. 
If I touch the square for the candidate at the top of the list, nothing at all happened. Kurtz reported similar issues to poll workers when he voted back in the 2018 election, when there were several reported incidents of vote flipping during early voting and on Election Day. Kurt said he pointed out the problem again on Tuesday morning and said the poll workers showed him how to clear his selections and, and told him that he should touch just below the box that he wanted to select. They then went over to help someone else who had questions. Kurt said, these machines are junk and need to be replaced. Yeah, you think? At West Lafayette Fire Station, Bill Mercier said that he ran into a similar problem. He said they caught it and fixed it by figuring out what was going on. But he said he didn't alert poll workers who were checking in other voters because he needed to get back to work. Well, thanks a lot, Bill. He said, but I can imagine others did not catch it as he did. Right. And thanks to you, Bill. He added, it shouldn't be working that way. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it shouldn't. The Tippecanoe County uh, Election Board staff member Mike Smith said he had fielded only one official report from a poll worker and said, we're deploying massive resources based on one report unless someone comes up and shows me uh, it's hard to make a, diagno a diagnostic guess about what the problem is. Is it the machine? Yes, Mike, it's the machine. He says, uh, it, we're staying on top of it, though. Well, Mike, did you see the video? Did you expect every voter to seek you out on Election Day? The uh, complaints came on what was, by uh, early accounts, a very light day of voting, which followed a light month of early voting. But what will happen next year when voting will definitely not be light in Indiana? What with former Indiana governor turned vice president and presidential nominee Mike Pence on the ballot? Wait, did I just say that out loud? No, he's he's no, he's not the well. Anyway, that part was fake news. Um, anyway, a a twenty five page federal complaint has been filed in the U.S. District Court for Southern District of Indiana, charging that it has been years since these problems have happened. One of the plaintiffs says she has personally been aware of these errors since twenty fourteen, and that this is our fifth election since that year. She said, as citizens, we deserve to be better served. No one can have full confidence in the results of our elections as long as these machines are in use. But the county clerk there, uh, Julie Rausch, uh, said, we are not getting new voting machines until 2021. Well, that settles that. Apparently, everything's just fine for Indiana voters, at least in Tippecanoe County. But, of course, those in Indiana, those are the uh, old Diebold touchscreen systems found to have been vulnerable to vote flipping and failure and hacking more than a decade ago now. They're the same exact model that swing state Georgia has been using since 2002 in which a federal judge just found a few months back to be completely unusable, unreliable, unsecure as she disallowed them from use in Georgia after this year. So in the Peach State on Tuesday, they were trying out the all new, way, way better, 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens that they plan to use across the state instead of the old unverifiable touchscreens. So how did that go? <laughs> Let's head over to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution to find out a glitch, as they describe it. It's always a glitch, a hiccup. 
snag. Never snafu. the actual failure that it failure, is. Failure, right? A glitch with Georgia's new voter check-in computers caused delays in most of the six counties testing it, causing precincts to stay open late to accommodate voters who uh, were, had to leave without casting their ballots at all earlier in the day. The problem occurred at at least four of the six counties where the new voting system was being tested. So, yeah, pretty big glitch, isn't it? They were testing it before the rollout statewide to seven and a half million voters for next year's uh, March 24 presidential primary. I'm sure they'll get it all straightened out by then. Most Georgia voters were still using the state's 17-year-old voting technology on Tuesday. Both the old system and the new system are 100% unverifiable touchscreens. The Republican Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, who recently replaced the previously uh, previous Republican Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, he oversaw his own contested election on those old unverifiable touchscreen systems last year. They both selected these new unverifiable systems for the entire state of Georgia this year to be used across the whole state next year, despite the warnings from cybersecurity and voting system experts to move to a hand-marked paper ballot system. But they don't care. So uh, the systems were tested in six counties and they failed in four of them. Voters were not able to uh, poll workers, I should say, were not able to create voter access cards on the new check in computers used with the systems. In other words, the electronic poll books failed. This left some voters waiting up to 45 minutes for the problem to be fixed. This same issue occurred uh, in Decatur County. Bartow, Carroll, Paulding, and Loundis on uh, Tuesday. Basically, uh, while they could call up the uh, you, the voter's name on the uh, these so-called poll pad computers, they could see the computer's name, the voter's name, but then they couldn't print out the cards, the uh, the cards that they must then insert into another computer, the touchscreens in order to pull up the ballot so that they can vote on those touchscreens. Of course, none of that is needed with a hand-marked paper ballot system. So this failure, uh, I mean, glitch uh, wouldn't have happened with paper ballots, but there you go. Uh, Rigby said it was a programming issue. The problem did not occur during the previous three weeks of in-person early voting uh, in these six pilot counties uh, on these new brand new touchscreens made by Dominion Voting System, which prints out a computer marked paper ballot that can never be known to have been verified by any voter after an election. Uh, Carol Hurd, the chief elections officer for Decatur County, said it ran smooth as silk during early voting. So it was not a problem right. during early voting, yep. but then suddenly it became yep. a problem on Election Day. Yep. That seems to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, the programming worked just fine. And then on Election Day, it didn't. So, you know, they tested it before Election Day. They tested it during early voting. Everything was swell. And then not on Election Day. Well, but that, you know, that could never happen next year, right? We should not worry about that at all. That's what they tell us. Uh so uh, great news, right? In a state believed to be ready to flip to Democrats, perhaps as early as next year's presidential election. And what about Pennsylvania, the state that Democrats hope to flip back 
to their column after Donald Trump reportedly won there by a very narrow margin in 2016. Well, they too are getting new unverified, unverifiable touchscreen voting systems for 2020 made by a different company, ESNS, the nation's largest and most failed private voting system vendor. How'd things go in Pennsylvania? Well, let's start in uh, my own hometown. I used to live in Lehigh Valley. Complaints of long lines and problems with the new voting machines in Northampton County, according to Lehigh Valley Live, have appeared on social media, while election officials in uh, neighboring counties said that all seemed to be going well. But one caller to LehighValleyLive.com said that straight party selections were highlighting the wrong party. Some staffers at the news outlet who voted in Northampton County had some issues with the machines. One in Easton said the machines a few times highlighted the candidate above or below the one that he was choosing. And remember, these are the new machines, not the old crappy ones they've been using for 17 years in states like Georgia and Indiana. These are the brand new ones. Uh, Another staffer uh, said the process took longer than expected. Carolyn W. Lee, a sociology professor at Lafayette College, uh, she tweeted, quote, at my polling place in Northampton County, the brand new ESNS ExpressVote XL machine software took an excruciatingly long time to load each screen. There were about six people in front of me, two machines and a waiting time of nearly 20 minutes. She added 2020 will be a nightmare. The uh, Lehigh Valley goes on to note that things seem to go smoothly uh, in uh, early in the day in Hanover Township, where poll workers instructed voters to select their candidates by tapping the middle of the column, not the box next to the name where one might think to tap. Again, brand new machines. Uh, nonetheless, a wait of an hour or more was reported at the same location just two hours before polls were to close on Tuesday night. Again, on an off-year election, municipal election, tiny election, an hour-long wait to vote. But things got worse, much worse, after the close of polls in Northampton County. As uh, Emily Opilo of the Morning Call in the uh, in the Lehigh Valley tweeted, quote, seeing some funky looking numbers uh, results coming in from Northampton County that are cause for concern. She tweeted with 11 precincts reporting judge candidate Cassis has zero votes. That seems improbable, she added. Improbable it was. Uh, Later on uh, last night, the county issued a statement about incorrect vote totals that had been coming in all night, describing the situation as, quote, unfortunate. Voters in Northampton County reported irregularities while voting on the ESNS ExpressVote XL machines during the elections held on November 5th, 2019, the county said. Multiple employees from the election office and ESNS worked throughout the day to address reported issues. During the initial reading of the results, it became apparent that there was a problem with the tabulation in some of the precincts. After receiving information from Northampton County, the Pennsylvania Department of State instructed the county to use the paper ballots, not the machine count, to tabulate results. These are the so-called paper ballots that are marked by the computer after the voter touches the screen and they print out. 
The problem is nobody knows if any voter actually verifies those computer-marked printouts. The county went on to say, while it is unfortunate that Northampton County experienced these problems during the November 5 election, we anticipate being able to complete the count using the machine-generated paper ballots, and we are grateful to the Department of State for requiring all Pennsylvania voting machines to produce a paper ballot. This is just maddening. <laughs> it's uh, not like you haven't been talking no, about this for it's literally just years. maddening. But hey, um, things didn't go well in Northampton County, Pennsylvania. But how about Philadelphia itself, where they're also testing out those new ESNS ExpressVote XL machines this year? Philadelphia, in the swing state of Pennsylvania. Well, from CBS 8 in Philly, they report it was a rocky start on Election Day where new touchscreen voting machines were rolled out. A judge of elections says one of the new voting machines was not taking paper ballots that needed to be inserted into them. At the Dorothy Emanuel polling place in Mount Airy, a voter discovered the incorrect names of candidates listed for District 9. That's a problem. Yep. About 24 people were waiting in line for that machine to be fixed so that they could get the correct name uh, of the candidates on that. uh, Actually, only one was left off. So a lot of people went through and voted on ballots that didn't have one of the candidates' names on it. Here, you'll like this one, Des, at another Mount Airy polling place. The electricity went out for about 30 minutes. My favorite kind. So I guess nobody could vote or there was battery power. I don't know. CBS does not say. Uh, At another polling place, a poll worker said one of the machines would not accept paper ballots as well that needed to be inserted in order for the person to vote. At the Germantown Mennonite Church ballot paper for the machines arrived late. One of the candidates whose names was not on one of the ballots was an incumbent council member, by the way. She was said, I was not happy at all. It is not clear how the snafu happened. There you go. It's a snafu. Uh, poll workers say turnout has been low. Those machines will be used all across Philadelphia in the critical 2020 presidential elections. But hey, snafu happens. It's only voting, the very heartbeat of our democracy, and I'm sure everything will will be cleared up uh, by next year in Pennsylvania and Georgia and Indiana and everywhere else. By the way, these very same machines, these ESNS ExpressVote uh, uh, XL systems, they're going to be in 22 counties next uh, next year in Kentucky when Mitch McConnell is on the ballot. Hmm. That doesn't bode well. Anyway, uh, they'll uh, get them uh, cleared up in where they're putting in these touchscreens instead of, you know, simple, cheap, verifiable, hand-marked paper ballots. So what could possibly go wrong? Let's take a quick break here, and we'll come back to talk about what went right, at least for Democrats, at least in a number of states, in the results as reported on Tuesday night. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. 
but we need your help to do it. And that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, as to the results from Tuesday's elections, as reported so far, there are still a number, uh, a number of uh, elections uh, that are the results are still rolling in from across the country and a number of contested races as Democrats and progressives overall, as in 2018, won up and down the ballot in a number of states for offices large and small, even though House Democrats are pursuing impeachment of Donald Trump. Go figure. It doesn't yet anyway seem to have hurt them at all and has maybe even helped in a number of places. While it was a very good night for Democrats overall, the biggest disappointment for them uh, had to be in Mississippi, where Republican Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves will be the next governor of the state, defeating Democratic Attorney General Jim Hood, who some thought might actually have uh, had a chance to win uh, the long-held Republican governorship in the deep, deep South. Uh, so that is a Republican hold, but it may have uh, required a visit by Donald Trump, who rallied late last week in the state of Mississippi for Reeves. And when a uh, Republican president has to rally for a Republican gubernatorial candidate in Mississippi, of all places, uh, that suggests the party is uh, struggling to even hang on to jurisdictions which the GOP normally does not need to waste any resources on at all. But the GOP did hang on. Uh, Reeves won by just over five points over Hood. But uh, they also swept all the other statewide offices, including the attorney general's office that was held previously by Hood. That was the only Democratic um uh, office in uh, in uh, statewide across Mississippi. Sam Hall of the Clarion Ledger reported that Republicans will now hold all eight wide statewide L eight statewide offices, along with majorities in the legislature and the transportation commissioner. The only state level place where Dems might have a majority is the public service commission. Dave Wasserman said, considering this was the first competitive. Mississippi governor race in years. This one may be the biggest surprise of the night to me. He said he uh, it can't be encouraging to Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards. He faces he's a Democrat. He faces a gubernatorial runoff there on the 16th of this month. So a week from Saturday, Wasserman adds no other way to say it. Turnout in Mississippi looks really pathetic. Yep, it's true. When Democrats turn out, they tend to win. When they don't, they lose. And it appears uh, they certainly turned out much better in another southern state on Tuesday. That would be Kentucky, where even Donald Trump's election eve rally does not appear anyway to have been enough to drag the very unpopular Republican governor Matt Bevin over the finish line. As he faced a challenge from Democratic Attorney General Andy Bashir, the son of the last Democratic governor, Steve Bashir, who was quite popular but was termed out four years ago and replaced by the very Trumpy Bevin back in 2015. Bevin is said to have won that year by almost nine points, despite pre-election polls showing him down anywhere from three to five points before the election. 
against his Democratic challenger that year. But this year, pre-election polls suggested a dead heat between Bevin and Bashir, and the results seem to have matched that. With the Democrat Bashir currently said to be leading Bevin by just over 5,000 votes, that's less than one half of one percentage point out of some 1.4 million votes cast in a huge turnout boost over 2015. Since his uh, initial election in 2015, Bevin has managed to tick off a lot of Kentuckians by trying to roll back former Governor Bashir's popular expansion of health care for residents in Kentucky under Obamacare in the state. And he's picked fights with teachers unions and police unions and media and just about everywhere else. Bashir's uh, current very slim lead is inside the margin that would trigger a recount in most states. But the Associated Press, at least, is not calling it yet for the Democrat. That's their policy to not call races that could go to a recount, even though there is no mandatory recount law in Kentucky. Some outlets are calling it an apparent win for Bashir, who declared victory on Tuesday night. Tonight, voters in Kentucky sent a message loud and clear for everyone to hear. that our values and how we treat each other is still more important than our party. That what unites us as Kentuckians is still stronger than any national divisions. I haven't had an opportunity yet to speak to Governor Bevan, but my expectation is that he will honor, he will honor the election that was held tonight. That he will help us make this transition after tonight, this election is over. After tonight, we move forward with every other Kentucky citizen as Team Kentucky. Uh, well, Governor Bevin is not exactly honoring the election, at least not the unverified and still unofficial computer tallied results as reported on election night when he declined to concede, telling supporters gathered for a victory party on Tuesday that there are known, quote, well-corroborated irregularities that must be investigated. With respect to our race, would it be would it be a Bevin race if it wasn't a squeaker? I mean, come on. I mean, really and truly, this is a close, close race. We are not conceding this race by any stretch. Not at all. We want the process to be followed, and there is a process we know for a fact that there have been more than a few irregularities. They are very well corroborated, and that's all right. What they are exactly, how many, which ones, and what effect, if any, they have will be determined according to law. And in the end, we will have the governor that was chosen by the people of Kentucky. And that's the way the process should work. But let me say this, you know, it really should. And so no matter who it is, no matter who it is, the people will know with confidence that the process was followed. Okay. I don't have any particular problem with that, although what those well-corroborated irregularities are uh, and who well-corroborated them, well, that remains a mystery at this time. And whatever they are, it sounds uh, somewhat strange that 
those well-corroborated irregularities did not extend to all of the other Republicans running statewide on Tuesday night. They all managed to win, all of them, including the Republican who won for attorney general, the office that had been held by Bashir and by other Democrats for decades. Republicans also picked up statewide offices in Kentucky for Ag Commissioner, State Auditor, Secretary of State, Treasurer. Basically, Republicans won just about everything statewide in Kentucky except the gubernatorial race, where one of the nation's most unpopular governors was running for re-election. But, yeah, sure, there could have been irregularities, and the computers may have miscounted the largely hand-marked paper ballots used by the majority of voters in the state. On Wednesday afternoon, Bevin's campaign announced it is asking for a re-canvas of vote totals, after which he will also have the right to ask for uh, for a recount. Though he'll have to seek permission from a state judge in order to do that, and depending on how that goes, the race could end up in the Republican-majority state legislature. But I hope to get to that and the odd way that Kentucky deals with recounts and election contests Hopefully on tomorrow's broadcast, as uh, as I try to learn more about what Bevan is now claiming or even pretending to be claiming for now, suffice to say, Bashir and Democrats are very pumped about the results on Tuesday night in a state that Donald Trump won in 2016 by 30 points and where he begged his supporters at a rally in the state on Monday night to not let him down. If you lose, it sends a really bad message. It just sends a bad, and they will build it up. Here's the story. If you win, they're going to make it like ho-hum. And if you lose, they're going to say, Trump suffered the greatest defeat in the history of the world. This was the greatest. You can't let that happen to me. Yeah, well, it happened to you, Mr. President. Uh, You lost, and yeah, it is kind of embarrassing. Uh, Nonetheless, there is no equivocating necessary for the landslide, long overdue victory felt by Democrats in the state just outside of Washington, D.C., where Donald Trump did not even bother to visit since he became so toxic there. That would be the great Commonwealth of Virginia, where the entire state legislature was on the ballot on Tuesday and where Democrats achieved a victory that they have not uh, been able to accomplish in almost 25 years Let's take a break and come back with the man representing Virginia's 45th district now for a third term in the Virginia House of Delegates to detail what the new Democratic trifecta in Virginia will mean for that great nearly 400-year-old Commonwealth. Mark Levine joins us next on the broadcast with some unabashed good news for Democrats. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. All I do is win, 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 no matter what Got money on my mind, I can never get enough And every time I step up in the building Everybody hands go up And they stay there And they say yeah 
and they're staying there today. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. They're staying up in the air in Virginia. Uh, while there were a ton of Democratic victories, large and small, across dozens of states which held elections on Tuesday this week, none were likely as big or as sweet as the full takeover of majorities in both the Virginia House of Delegates and the state Senate, handing Democrats a so-called trifecta in Virginia for the first time in almost a quarter of a century in the Commonwealth, as they will now control both chambers of the General Assembly and the governor's mansion at the same time. The victory for Dems was a long time coming in a state that for decades had been seen by many as solidly Republican. Then it became a swing state and now maybe just maybe solidly Democratic, at least for the foreseeable future. On Tuesday, Democrats flipped two Senate seats, including an upset in a suburban Richmond district by Ghazala Hashmi, who will be the first Muslim woman in the Virginia Senate. That's enough to finally take the majority in the upper chamber. The clear move toward blue majorities, however, in both chambers actually began with Virginia's last election in 2017, with big pickups in the House of Delegates uh, when Democrats came within literally one single vote of taking the majority, control of which was ultimately determined that year by a random drawing out of a bowl which we covered in detail at the time on this program when a Republican and a Democrat ended up tied in one race following a roller coaster recount in which the Democratic candidate had initially won until a Republican recount judge changed his mind about a few contested ballots, resulting in a tie and the random drawing out of a bowl which was won by the Republican, along with GOP control of the House of Delegates for another two years. In a bit of a satisfying bookend, by the way, to that wildly dramatic ending of the 2017 uh, elections, the candidate scrawled onto the slip of paper that was not picked out of that ceramic bowl that day. That was Democrat Shelley Simons. Well, she ran again this year. And this time, she defeated her previous rival, incumbent delegate David Yancey, by a definitive and whopping 18 points, 58 to 40 percent. And as if that is not thrilling enough, after gaining 15 seats in the House of Delegates back in 2017, Democrats on Tuesday this year picked up another five seats on top of those, assuring a majority in that chamber as well, locking in what appears to be an advantage as large as 10 seats in the House of Delegates, even as the ultimate size of the new Democratic majority uh, is still in flux, as there are still a couple of uh, still undecided contests there. But it was no contest, literally, in the Commonwealth's 45th district race for the House of Delegates, where two-term delegate Mark Levine, so beloved by his constituents and feared by state Republicans, that he ran unopposed for his third term on Tuesday, which you'll be surprised to learn he won. Mark Levine is also a longtime progressive radio host on whose nationally syndicated program, The Inside Scoop from Washington, I was privileged to appear a number of times back in the old days, largely to discuss Virginia's then 100 percent unverifiable and wildly vulnerable touchscreen voting systems, as I recall. 
Those have now finally been replaced by hand-marked paper ballots uh, in the state. Of course, he is uh, giving us all a bad name by proving that progressive radio hosts can run and win for office, repeatedly, apparently. I'm happy to welcome Mark Levine for the first time onto this program, the broadcast. Welcome, Mr. Levine. Thank you, Brad. And call me Mark. Everyone else does. Uh, we did get rid of In fact, one of the first things I did in office yeah? was to insist on paper ballots in Virginia. That's one of the successful things we did, and it sure makes elections hard to hack. Uh, yep. You can still gerrymander us, but you can't hack our elections, and uh, uh, that's, I think, one of the reasons for our success. And we're going to talk about some of that gerrymandering, Mark. Uh, either way, congrats on, on both your third term in office and the huge victory for your party in both chambers. So, so why did it finally happen this year, Mark? Well, look, this was a pretty dramatic thing to happen. Uh, yep. When I was first elected in 2015, uh, I was one of 34 Democrats in the House of Delegates. They had 66. They had almost two-thirds. In fact, my year, we had added one seat, which was good, because the year before, uh, the Republicans were so powerful, they could actually override the governor's veto with mm-hmm. a two-thirds vote. Yep. Had giving us 34 actually stopped the two-thirds vote. Uh, but we gained one seat in 2015, and then, well, came the gift that keeps on giving. The I like to say the only good thing Donald Trump has ever done in his life uh, <laughs> is help us win state legislative seats, and and he has. I, I could tell you that it's about activism, and mm-hmm. it is, and it's about groups and people coming out to vote, and it is, and young people and others who don't vote often voting, and women, and, and that's all true. But I wouldn't... I wouldn't be honest if I if I pretended that this didn't have something to do yeah. with backlash against this terror in the White House. He fed our fire. He helped it grow. We saw results in both 2017 and this year, 2019, that we've never seen before. Yeah. This is the traditional off-year off election, as they call it in Virginia. We are one of four states that has elections on the odd years. Mm-hmm. I guess five if we count Louisiana this year. Um, and most of them aren't full legislative races, and most of them are not purple states like Virginia. They're blue like New Jersey or red like Mississippi, Louisiana, Kentucky, although Kentucky had a surprise nice last night. Mm-hmm. But um, Maybe. My point is we'll this, see. <laughs> uh, I think he's going to pull we'll it see. out. You're right. Yeah. It hasn't been called yet, but 5,000 votes, I think this year is going to pull it out. Yeah. Uh, my point is this. Donald Trump fed our energy and disgust and dismay. Uh, we had a great election in 2018 as well. We vote every year in Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, where we took our, uh, we only have, we have 11 members of Congress, and uh, it was 7-4 Republicans, and it became 7-4 Democratic in 2018. So Virginia is trending blue, but again, it's largely due to the, the feelings against Donald Trump. Well, and in fact, I wonder if we get a President Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg, whoever it might be, I wonder if um, we could turn back to the red. Mm. So uh, I'm not going to be complacent and pretend that we have a solid blue Virginia forever. I think Virginia reacts against national trends. That's good for us now. But uh, we better do a really good job in the House of Delegates and the Senate so that our voters come back in 2021. 20, well, 20, there was there was a lot of, of hand-wringing in Congress, and I'm, I'm glad you cited Trump right off the bat here, because there was a lot of hand-wringing over the past year or two that impeachment proceedings against him might somehow help him uh, in his re-election next year and in, in states around the country invigorating Republicans. I frankly always saw that as nonsense, uh, and even if it was true, I didn't care because clearly the guy deserves to be impeached constitutionally. 
constitutionally. But d- uh, did the growing inquiry have any effect? Can you tell in Virginia one way or another? Was it something that you guys ran on uh, and embraced or did you shy away from it? Uh, how, how, how was that dealt with over the past couple of weeks there? Well, of course, we had 140 individual races for 140 individual seats, 40 mm-hmm. in the Senate and 100 in the House. And each one was done a little differently. I mention Trump all the time, but I am proud to represent Solid Blue, Alexandria, Arlington, Fairfax. Mm-hmm. Um, every race was run a little differently. I'll, I'll tell you this, and I agree with you, whether to impeach or remove the president is entirely based on his corruption and his crimes and shouldn't be based on politics. But that being said, uh, if anything, I think it's helped us. I mean, there's, there's no question that um, it worked in 17 and 18 before impeachment hearings, mm-hmm. and it worked in, in 19 after. I think most Virginians understand this president to be corrupt and to be uh, someone who's committed crimes and someone who has done an abuse of power. As far as I'm concerned, exposing that through impeachment hearings, and I'm glad that the House of Representatives, is, uh, the Intelligence Committee, is making those, those hearings public. I'm looking forward to seeing public testimony. I think that's good all across the nation because some folks won't believe it until they see it. Yeah. And even though we hear that, uh, you know, Marie Yovanovitch, the ambassador to Ukraine, and Taylor and Sondland, that the whole cast of characters has some really powerful evidence, um, it's all, you know, filtered through those of us who read the Washington Post and New York Times and uh, watch CNN. We're not hearing Marie Yovanovitch, you know, raise her right hand, mm-hmm. uh, this very, very respectable witness with you know, decades of... of of service to our country, and uh, or the Purple Heart winner, uh, Vindner, um, Vindman, talking, Alexander Vindman, yeah. Vindman, excuse me, yeah, Alexander Vindman, talking and telling us specifically what he heard. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I think that can only move in our direction. Um, you know, someone, I study a lot of history, mm-hmm. and with Richard Nixon, the vast majority of Republicans, the vast majority of Americans, yeah. did not support impeaching and removing him until the hearings. Right. And then with the hearings, with John Dean, with the smoking gun and the tape, people's minds were changed. So if anything, I think impeachment harms Donald Trump, as long as we have a case. If, it, if we didn't have a case, it would help him. They didn't have a case with Bill Clinton. No one felt that mm-hmm. adultery was worthy of impeachment, so that helped Bill Clinton. But I have no doubt we have a case against Donald Trump, a very severe, strong one, and exposing that, as far as I'm concerned, only hurts Republicans. Though, again, we're not doing it for political reasons, but it happens to be a nice Yeah, I, I, I've always, I, I've never understood the Democrats' fear of, uh, of doing the right thing, the clearly the right thing in this case. But taking it back to Virginia for a minute, Dems had almost won majorities in both houses back in, uh, in 2017. I mentioned literally within a breath in the House. Uh, a federal court ordered uh, some 25 out of 100 legislative districts redrawn in Virginia because they were found to have been unconstitutional racial gerrymanders. How much did those new, fairer, court-ordered maps, uh, how much did those contribute to Tuesday's flips in both houses, as you see it? Well, uh, again, there were no new maps in the Senate. So the Senate is based on the old maps. We mm-hmm. want two seats there. Um, having analyzed the House races, we're going to end up with 54 or 55. Right. We know that two seats that were flipped had zero changes at all. So we would have had a majority, 51, because we had 49 before, mm-hmm. notwithstanding any changes. So for those who complain mm-hmm. about the changes, which, again, I think it makes sense to 
to not have illegal racial gerrymandering. Right. So I strongly support the decision. But no Republican can complain that that was the reason we flipped uh, two seats in the Senate and two seats in the House that had zero boundary change. Mm. That being said, the other three or four, and there's still one seat, we're ahead by 18 votes. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a recount. Um, those three or four seats were, no question, improved by the court, including Shelley Simon's old seat. Yeah. Um, I think she would have won without it. You know, you said she mentioned by 18 points. That's yeah. true. She was improved by 18 points. I think we could have won that one without it as well. But as I said, we would have flipped the House and the Senate even under the old illegal racial gerrymander. Mm. But the court, the court decision, I think, made the pot a bit sweeter for us. Now, Democrats have been pushing for an independent redistricting commission for a long time there in response to all of this to avoid the gerrymanderings that have been in place for at least a decade there. Well, now Democrats will have complete control of the redistricting process after the 2020 census uh, with the trifecta in both chambers and in the governor's mansion. Are you guys still pushing for that independent redistricting commission in Virginia? Will you continue uh, supporting that? You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. When we started this push for the independent redistricting, of course, the United States Supreme Court was still undecided about whether or not uh, political gerrymandering as Mm -hmm. opposed to racial gerrymandering was unconstitutional. We were all very hopeful that Justice Kennedy would say, hey, political gerrymandering is wrong. Uh, It's undemocratic. It's not one person, one vote. And he would accept uh, my favorite model, frankly, which is the Wisconsin model, the efficiency gap model, which basically Mm -hmm. forces by a computer with no people involved uh, to have an equal system that allows a state district lines to reflect the polity, the actual politics. You know, if we're 55% blue, we should get 55 out of 100 votes, roughly. Mm-hmm. If we're 48% blue, so forth. Right. Um, as you know, the United States Supreme Court balked. Uh, Kennedy, um, you know, kicked the can down the road and then left the court. And then the most recent court decision said, hey, folks, gerrymander all you want. Go for it. <laughs> Basically, steal all you can. Republicans, you, you redesign Wisconsin and Michigan and Florida and Ohio and and Democrats take Maryland and, and Illinois. Um, and so now there, there's a couple questions. One, is it moral to unilaterally disarm, right? If they're gerrymandering the heck out of it, mm-hmm. should we also do so? And some of my constituents are saying, hey, Mark, the Republicans gerrymander way more than Democrats. We have to gerrymander just to be even. Mm-hmm. You know, the same kind of people who say if you're in a boxing ring and people start kicking you below the belt, if you don't kick them below the belt, you're going to lose. Hmm. Because you are restraining yourself, and they're not restraining themselves. And frankly, there's some there's some persuasiveness in that. And then there's the other issue, which is actually more important for me, which is how you design the independent commission, and most importantly, who draws the lines if the independent commission cannot agree. I'm fine with independent commissions when they set the lines. But there is a constitutional amendment that was proposed by Republicans last year that says... Unless the independent commission agrees by 75% vote, and it's tricky, it's designed to be half Republicans and half Democrats, Mm -hmm. some from the legislature, some from the the citizens, it's a very complex commission. But if 75% don't agree, the Virginia Supreme Court decides. And you might think, well, what's wrong with that? You know, courts are as good as anyone else. Well, Virginia is one of two states in the United States, with South Carolina being the other one, where the legislature chooses the judges. Most states have the governor choose the judge. Some states have elections. So what this means is the Supreme Court, which has 12-year terms in Virginia, the Virginia Supreme Court, was chosen by 
the Republican majority that was chosen by the illegal racial gerrymander mm. that the United States Supreme Court said was unfair. They weren't chosen by the people. In 2017, for example, yeah. 55% of Virginians voted for Democrats, and we didn't get a majority. So should a court chosen by an illegally constituted racial gerrymander majority be able to gerrymander us for the next 10 years? I'm really skeptical of that. Very and interesting. That's why yeah. I'm, I'm going to probably turn out against this constitutional amendment, not because the independent commission is a problem, but because the backstop, if they disagree, is a problem and would actually allow the same illegally racially gerrymandered Republicans who ruled over Virginia right. from 2011 to 2018 could rule over us again and, for decades to come. And that will be, so that's a measure that will be on the ballot next year in 2020? No, uh, Virginia constitutional amendments require two votes by the legislature, ah. and then it goes to the to the voters. So we can stop this legislatively if enough of my colleagues agree uh, to reject it this year. Ah. Uh, and, and we're in a bit of a bind because if you don't explain it in some detail to voters, they're like, well, why don't you want to oppose gerrymandering, support this constitutional amendment? And you have to explain, nope, it allows the Supreme Court to decide. Yeah. The Supreme Court was chosen by the wrong people. And, and there's a fear, I think, among some of my Democratic colleagues that if they oppose it, it'll look like they're pro-gerrymandering. Yeah, you'll look but like really, you're uh, hypocritical. For, yeah, but, yeah, but really, the best way to stop gerrymandering is to defeat this constitutional amendment and put in a plan much like the one I suggested, the Wisconsin plan, the efficiency gap plan. There mm -hmm. are other plans with the independent commission, but I just don't trust the backstop of the Virginia Supreme Court given how they're chosen by the legislature. I hear you, so Mark. It's, it's I've got complex. Yeah, no, it is. And I want to continue following it, and hopefully we'll continue talking to you about it. I, I know there's sure. a, a lot on your plates now with this trifecta in Virginia. Uh, yes. So I'm wondering uh, very quickly, and it's impossible to do quickly, but what is the top order of business now for Democrats with these do, majorities? Yeah. First thing we're going to do is we're going to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, and Virginia will become the 38th state, the final state in the nation, to pass the ERA, it requires three-quarters of the states. And then I'll probably go back to the courts about other questions like rescission and time limits. But it can't go anywhere unless 38 states agree. We will probably be the 38th state. You can expect that to happen uh, as soon as January and February. Which is pretty yeah, cool, by the way, just to underscore very for people. Cool. Very cool. Although, just so folks don't get too excited, uh, there are questions about the deadlines because uh, this That's has right. been uh, ratified by various states over the past, what, three or four decades at least at this That's point. Right. Since 1970. And it may have timed out. And so there's going to be some uh, judicial questions that need to answer in there. Yeah. But the court said we won't go anywhere unless we get 38 states. Okay. So this is the necessary but not sufficient thing that needs to happen, and Virginia will lead the way. We're going to lead the way on gun safety laws. Uh, we are one of the worst states for guns in the United States. Yep. We can become one of the best. I've worked very hard on that. We're going to finally do something about climate change, which the Republicans have been fighting us on for decades. We're going to raise the minimum wage. We're going to do criminal justice reform. We're going to uh, have non-discrimination uh, for LGBT Virginians. We're going to in improve education and teacher salaries and workers' rights, consumers' <laughs> rights, and lower the cost of health care. And uh, I'm I really just getting started. Do it, we have time? <laughs> is, is, is there anything like the, uh, like the U.S. Senate filibuster in the Virginia House or Senate that could allow Republicans to bollocks up all of these progressive plans, Mark? N no. Or no? let's just say not that I know of. Okay. <laughs> uh, the only thing, look, I mean, we are, in the Senate, the margin's 21-19, right? Mm -hmm. So if they pull two of our more conservative Democrats over, that might stop us from doing some very, very progressive things. But we're going to do a lot of progressive things. You know, uh, you know, there's, there's, 
you know, well, we're going to get past the Joe Biden wing of the party and into the Elizabeth Warren wing of the party. And, um, you know, maybe some things on the further, most progressive edge we might not have the votes for. Uh, but we're going to do a lot to change Virginia in a very blue direction. Very cool. Uh, one thing, one point you didn't mention, perhaps because I cut you off, but Virginia has been one of the most restrictive states uh, when it comes to voting. They were ranked uh, 49th worst state for voting access in a, a 2018 study. Uh, what changes might we expect on voting rights now with Democratic control, Mark? I would say Democrats are unanimous about, um, all wings of our party are unanimous about making it as easy as possible to vote, uh, whether that be college students, whether that be paper ballots, whether that be early voting, uh, access to voting, same-day registration. We can do a lot of things, and I don't think they'll even be controversial. I think we can become a leader, go from 49 to number one. Uh, give us, give us uh, a year or two to write some legislation. Uh, I know, I just, I don't, I don't think we'll have a problem with that. That's something that Democrats across the line support. All right, let me put in my uh, advocacy here for uh, hand-marked paper ballots, just to make sure. We have those. Well, do, are they actually? They are hand-marked, right? They Not, are hand-marked. They're okay. required by law. This is work I've already done, Brad. Yeah, no, I know and you they have. Are counted by. They're counted by a scanner. Uh, no, I know. That's fine. Are. I know there's a, just a lot of bad guys out there and a lot of confused Democrats who think that computer-marked paper ballots are the same no. thing as paper ballots. No. You no, understand that distinction. Marked. Excellent. It is required by law. And, in fact, my only complaint that I'm going to try to work on yeah. is that I want to have a way that even if the ballot scanners count them, if you think there's a problem, you should be able to physically hand count them. Uh, and so I'm going to work on yeah. some of those. Uh, legal distinctions, but but we have handmarked paper ballots. It's one of the things I focused on from the very first time I arrived. Partly because Brad, you and I discussed this. Well, I don't want to say decades ago. Cause it well, it feels no. I think it was about decades ago it, at this it point. Probably yeah. it was right after 2000, <laughs> so at least 15 years ago. <laughs> um, I've never forgotten that, and I've always firmly believed in handmarked paper ballots. Well, thank you, brother. Thanks for that. Is there any chance, by the way, that uh, and I don't know. I, I'm I suspect it's already in the constitution, state constitution, but. Can Virginia get rid of those off-year elections and get back onto a normal schedule? I think it will require a constitutional amendment. I actually looked this up. The Constitution doesn't say we have them on the odd years. It doesn't say that. Remember, Virginia is older than the United States, right? Mm. The United States is a pesky 240 years old. Yeah. We're 400 years old. Right. Uh, so um, we began long before the, the U.S. existed. Um, the Constitution actually doesn't say vote on the odd years. What it says oh. is uh, your terms last two years or four years. Well, here's the problem. I was just elected right now in 2019 mm -hmm. to a two-year term. If we switch to the even years, you got to make my two-year term one year or three years, at least temporarily, and I don't think we can do that mm. without a constitutional amendment. At least I haven't quite figured that out yet. So I'd love to do it without a constitutional amendment, but it may require one. Well, it would certainly help turnout. On the other hand, uh, every few years, uh, Virginia gets outsized attention because of the only ones uh, having a, a full uh, General Assembly elections. Uh, and I think uh, this year you guys are probably pretty happy about that extra attention. Delegate Mark Levine, you can find him uh, on the web at markfordelegate.com. You can find him on the Twitters at Delegate Mark. He's the Democratic delegate to the uh, Virginia House of Delegates from the from Virginia's 45th District, representing parts of Alexandria, Arlington, and Fairfax County, and still 
does, I think, your your radio show every week, right? I do, and that website's marklevingtalk.com. I've cut down on the number of shows I do, but I still do it, and I've got a podcast as well that people should check out. You are insane, but thank you very much I for am. joining us today, Mark. I <laughs> uh, hope it's not another decade before we have you on. Uh, we'll be harassing you to, to join us again in the near future, my friend. Glad to come back, Brad. Thanks so much. Congratulations and good luck. Okay, we gotta go. I'm late. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending time with us today. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And our thanks to those who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.